Hello and welcome to this week's Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. How goes it, Ted? You all right? You're not coming to me from your car, or sound like you're coming to me from your car. Yeah, sound problems have been terrible recently, due to my relatively new microphone being terrible, but you don't want to hear about that. So now we're back in the office, facing off against face each other. Face to face. Yeah, with the, the new kit again. Are you John Travolta or Nick Cage? Uh, that's a good question. I didn't like that film. <laughs> I'm shocked, really. You didn't like that film? <laughs> <laughs> it, it annoyed me. It's, uh, it, was, it, it vexed me somewhat. We've immediately just <laughs> dove right into the film. Yeah, commentary. No. We got to pick. We got to pick a new one. You, you, you actively admitted to go and see Frozen Two, which I've yet to see. So it's, it's a, a contender. Actively admitted. Yeah. Yes, I, I took. I took my daughters to see Frozen Two. What's wrong with that? You could have gone and took your son to the football, but you chose to. I was sick. I needed to not stand outside for an hour and a half in the pissing rain, as it happens to be in England every <laughs> single day right now. But good. also, I wanted to go to Frozen 2, and how dare you judge me? There we are. That's fine. I may get dragged in myself by my own daughter, so we shall see. Uh, that's, that's for another time, though. Anyway, uh, what are we going to talk about, Ted? We've got a few things lined up, and then the usual kind of riffs. We're going to talk about you saying bad things on the pod. Uh, Nico's flagged this up, and, and so we got to circle back around. But it, it's so we'll start off with uh, with the fifth place team again, which is always a little bit fun. Uh, partly because <laughs> one through four are like so far ahead, uh, <laughs> you're like, well, we could talk about them every single week, uh, but it get boring. But the fifth place team at the moment, Grace, uh, one of the writers from StatsBomb.com, uh, noted this <laughs> in a tweet, and I thought she was lying. <laughs> I was like, this there's is not no true. way that this team is in fifth. Yeah, yeah, it's Wolves. Wolves are in fifth, which is... Uh, we could probably do a, a who's in fifth uh, place <laughs> round every week. Well, last be, last week was Sheffield United. Yeah, it might be someone different. But Jackie Oatley probably very happy with the, the Wolves' uh, re-ascendance to uh, what seems like their rightful place now. Yeah, well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? Because last season they were decent. And... Um, yeah, the really slow starts of this season. Yeah, Nikos happily, very happily flagged at the point that I'd said after they started the season with uh, three draws and two defeats that perhaps Nuno's job was, um, you know, maybe a little bit insecure as, as time was going on. Since then, they've won four and drawn four. And uh, I wouldn't say rocketed up the league, but they've eked their way up into this fifth it doesn't, position. It doesn't take much to rocket up the league table at the moment. No, it doesn't. It's it's a really interesting kind of uh, setup. The bottom three are a little bit adrift. There's three points between West Ham and Norwich, but basically six points between fifth and 17th right now. West Ham are in 17th, hmm. 13 points, but if they won one, they would be in 11th. I will say that our metrics seem to be lining up quite nicely. <laughs> Generally, the, the lesson seems at all. Don't talk to me about stats nonsense, James. That's a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and the top four, the top four, uh, are significantly better than the rest of the league. It seems at the moment. That, you know, Man United's uh, positive expected goals seems to have. Uh, this hasn't. They're still they're still in credit, but they're not. You know, they're not looking quite as as ahead as maybe they were at one point. But Wolves are one of the few teams that are actually in credit for expected goals by we get by 0.16 per game. So generally, you'd say that actually their performances kind of merit being at the higher end of the uh, table. Sure. And the, the cluster of the usual suspects, Arsenal, Manchester United, and Tottenham, and 8th, ninth, and 10th. Yeah, well, you know, we all know who's coming out of that group. Tottenham, the rise of Tottenham is, is awaited and coming. Surely. Is that Jose Mourinho's team, I believe I read recently? Yeah, that's that's been really quite funny, isn't it? The, 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 <laughs> the, I think Circus is probably the right word. The Circus around him is like, yeah. is any one man bigger than the club? Of course not, but you know, for the press, 
Yeah, sure. They're following him everywhere. And of course, they're Amazon. He's even joking about Amazon following him everywhere. I would well. like to contribute £100 for Ted Lasso to interview Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Who's Ted Lasso? I don't even know who Ted Lasso is. Ted Lasso, Tottenham Hotspur. What? I don't know what you're on about. Come on, he was the coach of the Tottenham Hotspurs. No idea what you're on about. James, I cannot believe that you do not know the important bits about your own club. No, I don't. Unacceptable. We're going to fix this. Is this, is this another film? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it like three years ago, I think when, uh, when, uh, the Premier League moved to NBC, uh, Jason Sudeikis, do you know who Jason Sudeikis is? No. Okay. Do you know the hangover? I've, I've seen that film. Okay. It was okay. He, yeah, he was one of the straight men in hangover. He actually is in lots of movies, but they're recent movies. So you probably don't mm. know them. Also Saturday night live. Anyway, Jason Sudeikis, uh, was an American football coach that came and took over a football team being Tottenham. And he was there, I think, the last season that Bale was there. Yeah, or at least the last summer that Bale was allegedly supposed to right. be. And, uh, and they filmed this promo. It's actually, like, really funny if, you know, you watch. <laughs> If you like humor as a thing. <laughs> Some people are more difficult. <laughs> anyway, so, yes, uh, I, I would love to see this particular character interview Jose Mourinho. I think that would be great. Also, uh, I would also love to see weekly uh, Special One TV, but centered around the Tottenham Hotspurs again. Just, you know, biggest club in the land at the moment, Tottenham, you know, all the all the interest is there. It's it really a, is insane how much coverage they're getting, like absolutely bonkers. Yeah, every, and like, you know, all the analysis about the, the first game. I think a, a couple of couple of things spotted ahead of time. I think Did, the, did they play with basically one fullback forward and <laughs> one fullback yeah. staying back? Yeah, apparently I'm shocked. The, the Mike spied, the spied that as an idea as well, and it was like, that came out. I spied that, like, the, the passing it out from the back wasn't going to continue. I mean, these aren't revelationary considerations, but... You know, it's, it's, it's still fun fun to predict out of time again. From this right. head coach whose football we've watched since, like, I don't know, 2006 <laughs> or so, yeah. he pretty much plays the same way that he used to play. Yeah. But, you know, he convinced Daniel Levy that he was an attacking coach as well. If you just watch those Real Madrid teams where Cristiano Ronaldo counterattacked constantly, whether you wanted him to or not, you know, they look like an attacking team. 19 shots a game back then. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, they've got... The Tottenham have got the players to do this. We're supposed to be talking about Wolves and we've deviated. I mean, this is this is this is literally <laughs> no, November 2019 Premier League. You know, he's trying to talk about something else and it all comes back to Mourinho. We could talk about Arsenal probably should have lost a home game against Southampton, who are still in the relegation zone. We could talk about that. That was stupendous, actually, because I, I was fl- I was flipping between that and the Liverpool game, and um and actually like Southampton had some amazing chances to finish finish off Arsenal. It should have been they should have been three one up, but um, I think at least at least two occasions, I think even the expected goals was was would have been like happily saying like yeah come on we'll give you one of those. It was like 55 percent, I think. You know, Southampton should have come out of that with three points. Yeah. Um, the first goal is something that I get irritated with, like the U11 kids about, like don't switch off on set pieces ever. You know, don't turn your back and walk away. Arsenal doing the nonsense all of a sudden, quick free kick, boo, or free kick taken uh, straight in on goal. There you go. There's the first goal. Um, you know, the, I mean, Lacazette's there. Arsenal do still score goals. That's great, but coming out defensive, basically punting the first half making some adjustments and then basically Southampton I think readjusted and put three guys forward constantly and it the it felt like there was a 20 minute period where Southampton got attacked 3v4 mm. or 3v3 even a number of times 
in open field against Arsenal. And like, that's a horrific thing. Yeah, you have to yeah. make an immediate adjustment for that not to happen. You've got to bring your defensive mids, which of which they're like 15 in the squad on any particular match day. And you need to, you know, set them back in front of those defensive players and control a little bit. But that certainly was not happening. So yeah, it's uh, it's very, very messy right now. And uh, Arsenal were not great. They should have lost that game. They're still at like 16 shots plus against per game at the moment. There's been a few things going dot around to it i think uh you, and andrew you, mangan put out the the shot differential thing mm. on ars blog um and and unfortunately we don't have his lovely radio voice it just you know wraps you in warmth and comfort even when he's bitching <laughs> about unai emery um but yeah like the the shot differential in the seasons uh under wenger even like the bad seasons were like you know 150 to 250 in the positive and uh, and right last year was like a small negative, which would, you're like, oh, that's weird. And now it's like really quite catastrophically negative. And the XG people will be like, well, yeah, but, you know, the quality is very different. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. But it also means if you're that negative in shot differential, you have no control or your team has no control over the game. And that's a huge deal because it means your results are highly variant, which, believe it or not, Arsenal's results are highly variant right yeah, now. Yeah. I'm shocked. I'll tell you what, that vis, that you know, with all the shots I've, for, you know, multi-seasons, it was a good vis, but they didn't paint, you can paint that picture worse because this season was the worst season. Only been 13 games. You build that chart by game and it's even worse. It's going to look absolutely horrific. It's going to creep toward a relegation look given the the gap between the two. And people can talk about, you know, Arsenal have had the lead in a number of spots and so they've, they've tried to sit on it and there's some game state effects. But... You know, we're we're a third of the, <laughs> the way through a season, and it, it's almost catastrophic that you look like in that particular metric a relegation team. In most other metrics, you look like yeah, you're on the table. edge of the Europa League. Which it's weird they've only lost three games. You know, Man City lost three games, Chelsea lost three games, but it it just it doesn't feel like that at all. And that you know they obviously you know struggling to win games. They never have game control. Yeah, and if yeah. you watch those games, you realize that, and so that's why. You know, Arsenal fans have no nails and, and a shorter hairline if they're men. Maybe women too. I don't want to discriminate. <laughs> it's a bit weird, isn't it? But uh, we'll see how that pans out. All right. So there was a thing this week, uh, a couple of different things. Uh, the Oracle, who apparently now has a podcast with Mark Chapman, who I actually quite love. I, I think Chappers is really good. Don't leave our podcast. Keep good listening people. to us. Yeah. don't, don't Forget all the new podcasts. Uh, the Athletic have launched a million podcasts. Uh, we are not one of those. Uh, <laughs> We have our own podcast, as you are listening to right now. Um, but uh, the Oracle, David Ornstein, uh, had a thing uh, in his weekly column this week on The Athletic, which there are, people have mixed opinions about The Athletic and the overall quality. But like, I love Ornstein. And I, I have been, I've, in a Pavlovian way, uh, that is my response. Uh, and he had a, basically talking about snake oil and the Premier League and how bad um, some companies have been. And the Premier League, you know, seems like it's got so much money that it's more likely to get sold um, stuff that's just bad. And there was a, a story of like a six-figure sum of a company delivering bad data to the Premier League. And finally, some analysts came in and were like, look, this is, this is a mess. And they initially like were sort of resistant, but eventually realized that, oh yeah, this is actually basically garbage and, and we're gonna get rid of them. <clears throat> and th there were like a number of different questions out of that. Um, we don't know what data company or, or type of service provider that was, uh, that was not clear in the, in the thing, but I mean, it certainly happens. And, and we've talked on this show about how there are different levels of quality and some people care about it and some people don't, but at the club level, you care about it. 
Like you have to care about it. This is your job. And if you show up with bad information or bad data and it leads you to sign a player that isn't good enough or uh, neglect a player that was definitely better if you'd had the right data or whatever, like that's a huge deal. And so you really care about it at the club level. And you probably don't see enough service providers that kind of take that into context. Like the, the, the threat to someone's job at, at the, the football level is almost a constant. It's almost a given. And so you actually care about quality even more because like, you know, at least you want to care about the things you can control. And, and that's like your evaluations and your analysis and your judgment and whatever. And then if something random comes in and just like, you know, is dumping uh, bad data on top of it or, or bad information on top of it, like that's a huge problem for you. So complexity yeah i think complexity is probably um the more moving parts you've got the more 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 chance you've got to go wrong like um you know i, I haven't gotten a good example but I, I i do wonder about kind of gps related stuff like you know i'd probably i'd probably want to be kind of like examining how the, how that's working out uh checking things we're adding up right as you might expect and you know you can't just blindly believe the data you know you've got you've got to have some understanding of context around things you know if, if someone puts up some some kind of like insane number that you're incredibly impressed by. Should you be impressed by that data point or should you query the data point? I mean, there's, these are all questions that kind of like float around, you know, with anything data related. But yeah, I mean, it's important to, important to understand exactly what you're looking at, I think. And um, as a result of this, <clears throat> you know, Mark, Mark Thompson, who occasionally writes for us and works for 23, um, <clears throat> did some editing over the summer. He, he had some musings as like, you know, if you were a snake oil salesman, uh, how, how would you most likely get involved in, in selling a product? And, uh, and another sort of stats bomb follower, uh, Raud mentioned that um, you could be a personal performance coach for a player. Like that's probably like the easiest way in to some significant type of, of income that's difficult to, to keep track of and stuff like that. And I replied to it saying that, uh, it was basically a quote. Oh yeah, our, our sports science department tons does a ton of work to make sure that our players are trained and kept, you know, at, at the maximum of their fitness, but also like you know, low injury risk as much as possible. Like we want to keep them in in the best spot over the course of the season. Uh, and then they go work out with their personal trainer and all of that goes to shit, which is, which is a thing that, that doesn't just happen in football. It happens in a lot of different sports. And, and I, I hear this from the NBA guys where, <clears throat> you know, your sports science departments are probably bigger in football than they are in, in American sports right now. Uh, that's kind of had an uptick. I think the Australian sports are like really big into it. Australia has often been a leader in that space, but the fact that, you know, Load management is a thing, and, and you need to be really careful about it during the season. So what the sports scientists and the trainers and the fitness people try and do is to try and balance the fact that we need to keep you either at or close to uh, your top-level performance numbers while also making sure that you know, we protect your salary and you don't get injured. And then when players go work out and, don't coord and their, their trainer doesn't coordinate with them uh, or with the, the team's uh, people or when they go to the national team and there's no coordination between those two on, on load management. Uh, basically, it just flushes all that down the to toilet. Like there's all this planning, there's all this uh, risk assessment and, and you try to manage it as best you can while allowing players to develop. And, uh, and, then, and then they go out and they're like, oh, I want to keep working out. I want to get fitter and better. Yeah, yeah. I think that was, that was the you know, the hook that intrigued me when you, when you first mentioned it. It's like, you know, you, a lot of sportsmen evidently like their fitness. 
<laughs> it's their job. They should like their fitness, but you know, there's going to be a few of them that are, you know, severe kind of like workoutaholics. And how do you how do you rein them in when, like you say, when they are at uh, international breaks or you know off off you know off the kind of training kind of schedule and doing their own thing? Uh, how do you keep them within the parameters that you want them to be so they're not burnt out in February or March or April or whatever? Is that's an interesting interesting challenge actually? Yeah, I remember Ravi at Seattle Sounders uh, talked to me one time about Oba. Uh, Obafemi Martins, and he'd be like, we we would go out, and, and Ravi actually started as, uh, as as sort of a fitness analyst or uh, a sports science analyst there, uh, despite having like a background in, at Microsoft and stuff like that. <clears throat> and so Ravi built a lot of tools, and then he would go out and he would like kind of be the in-training uh, monitor person for a while to make sure that guys were coming back from injury, they could pull them out of certain high-intensity things or have them avoid that uh, to try and, you know, keep the rehab going while, while also getting them involved at the team level, not just doing training on the side and stuff like that. It's like, it, it was so, it was such a huge struggle because Oba would just like then go off and do an, an additional workout with his, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, the, hmm, I don't actually know how to fix this. And you know, we talked to him about it and, and he just like really liked working out. Uh, Alexis Sanchez actually apparently had this thing yeah, as that, well. That doesn't actually, surprise me, yeah. those, those rumors came out at, uh, at, of Arsenal at, at different points. Um, <clears throat> So I, I was at Barcelona uh, a couple weeks ago and had a chance to talk to Vasa de Boda, who uh, basically oversees analytics and sports science at, at Ajax. And, and their situation is very different because they have so many young players that come through. And so you, with young players, you've got even more factors that you're worrying about than sort of like first team uh, players, which is, is basically we need to make sure that we, we keep them fit, but we also need to make sure that we develop them. And then there's this question of should we overtrain versus game situations to make sure that we can, you know, reach the the thresholds for the body so that it's easier to to withstand game uh, withstand game intensity, and and these are all questions that that go alongside. Oh, and let's not get our players injured. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's really seriously complicated calculus, and it's different for every player, and they've got different thresholds. And you know the the top tier teams that do this really well, and also make sure that the coaches are bought in, and that you know the players are bought in because obviously that's a big deal. You know this is this is an amazing melange of of skills almost, and and part of it's like soft skills too, talking to the players, making sure that they're giving you the information that is most accurate for them. Maybe beer is the answer, or chocolate. You know, you, you got if you're going to do a little bit of extra work, you're going to have to balance it out. You have two beers tonight. Are we talking about me and you? Or are we talking about like I suspect you athletes? may have a beer tonight, Ted, but uh, top tier athletes, maybe we're going to... This is my... Arsenal are playing tonight, so I don't have to dip into the bourbon. The, the York plan is uh, if you're going to be <laughs> fitness orientated, then have, have the odd beer to balance it out. No, that's a terrible idea. No, who knows me? They need to relax. Stop working out so much. I don't know. This isn't my area of expertise, as you may have picked up by now. Talking of uh, like players and energy and this kind of thing, like just to throw back to Wolves quickly, because I I did I had a quick look at Wolves, and I was like, right, Jao Moutinho, via via our pressure data, is recording uh, twenty nine pressures per game, right? and that's pretty high. That's like kind of top five in the league of like you know, and that's some of it is related to how much of the ball you got and this kind of thing, but still, this is quite a lot. And then you think like Jao Moutinho, not a young man. 
<laughs> Joey Martinez, 33 years old. Uh, let's look at players around that age. And uh, basically, there aren't that many of them like playing regularly in the Premier League. But for pressure events, the second on that list for 33 year old and up is David Silva, 16. So, like at the moment, wow. Martinez, as an energy guy, a defensive energy guy, is almost like a you know a bit of a unicorn in that Wolves team. Do you know who was higher though? Uh, last year go on forward Brighton <laughs> Glenn Murray yes <laughs> really? Glenn, Glenn Murray was something like 37 or something <laughs> now to be fair his team had basically a third of the ball so like, yeah. if we readjust that M- Milner hasn't played much he didn't, he didn't Milner was kind of in between there but he hasn't played many minutes but I, yeah I but, felt bad for Glenn Murray <laughs> I, you know I'm like Chris Hewton stop abusing Glenn Murray he's out there giving you his heart and you just keep making him run more and more and more. And it's not like he ever gets the ball. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's genuinely interesting. I mean, like, uh, we haven't talked too much about like kind of pressure and stuff recently, but um, dun, 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 it is dun, dun, dun. it is just interesting looking at the looking at how the defensive events like should uh, split up across a team. And you do understand that you know you, your hardworking forwards show up. You know, we always cite Firmino as someone who does. Cent- centre backs don't so much. Uh, centre backs don't so much show up because uh, that would be weird. Yeah, and the, but it's interesting because you think, oh, centre back defensive events, and it's like, yeah, right, okay, to a point. But you know, if you're a, if you're a centre back and you're coming out charging around pressing pressing people, then you're going to get turned and you're going to get beaten. It's going to be a problem. And it's true. so, yeah, it's it's interesting because the the I think Michael Cayley hinted on this with with uh, his talk at the conference uh, about how. Uh, defensive events are, you know, kind of subtly different depending on what you're looking at. And it's, yeah, it's interesting kind of, kind of like learning as we move along. But Moutinho is Superman. Allegedly. At the moment. There's a big tournament on tonight. The Champions League, the yes. The Champions League. Starring Jose Mourinho, I believe. Yeah, nice how he just sort of slides <laughs> into that. Mostly secured uh, the, the qualification, or sorry, the, the knockout rounds. It was a good timing. This is like, it's like what was it? The Simpsons, Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie. Whenever, whenever Mourinho's not on the screen, the other characters should be asking, where is Mourinho? <laughs> a couple of people might get that one, but yeah. I, I, I always think I had him as, as my first choice for managers <laughs> who would come take over a big role uh, mid-season. He was, he was not initially high on that list, but he's back. Tottenham's group looks, they, they, I think they need a point. They need a point at home to Olympiacos, which they should be, should be able to get. Uh, Olympiacos are okay. They're not, not great. Bayern. But that group looks done. Though. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was Bayern. done. So the, the constant complaint about the Champions League is that the group, st- group stage is a bit of nonsense. Uh, it's frustrating. Like, we almost never see anything useful or different or interesting happen. And I guess that's kind of true. So, like, let's let's go through this year and see, like, which groups are basically done and which groups are, are kind of at least a little bit in play. So, Group A, PSG, Real Madrid, who played tonight really big tension in that group except for the fact that club bruges and galatasaray have two points and one points and that group's basically done so it doesn't yep. matter next bayern 12 points spurs seven points uh next. red star uh and lepiakos three and one so that's basically done moving right along dug it up dug it up city with 10 so they they had one stumble uh draw um, and then you've got two on five. So that, that group's definitely still in play. We've got Ukrainian Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, basically Constance in the Champions League, and Dinamo Zagreb also, uh, both, both on five, uh, 
Donetsk is minus two, uh, Zagreb is plus two. I think the, the difference there is that one of them had a win against the other. And then down at the bottom of that group is is the the favorite, the analytics favorite from from most people around the way, Atalanta. I was just thinking, one. yeah, what's that? I, I'm really not speaking to the Champions League much. I should be. Man City pumped them at home and then drew, they drew away. But yeah. then they lost at home to Shakhtar and got hammered by Dimo Zagreb away. So, yeah, a bizarre... A bizarre, uh, bizarre uh, kind of season for them. But yeah, Atlanta at home to Dinamo Zagreb, despite the fact they got stuffed in the first uh, game, they should be able to at least take this well. They may be able to take this to, to a final leg, uh, you know, final match, which which would be different to some of the other groups. So that would be good. So out of the out of three groups so far, we've got one that has a little bit in play. <laughs> uh, we're moving on down to Group D, which is Juventus, Atletico, Lokomotiv Moscow, and Bayer Leverkusen. Leverkusen had a big struggle in their first three games. They won the last, so they're down on three. Uh, Moscow also on three. Juve at 10, and Atletico Madrid on seven. So basically done again. Uh, Mm. Group E, Liverpool on nine. Mm. Napoli on eight. Mm. Then Salzburg on four, pretty far back, and Gink on one. It's Liverpool-Napoli this week, isn't it? So, yeah. um, like, if, if if a team wins that and Salzburg can dispose of Genk, then it would, it would at least create something going into the last game. But, again, you still... <laughs> it still looks like it's going to shake out. The mutually it? assured draw. They, <laughs> yeah. they happen less in the Champions League than people, like, even the betting markets think. Yeah, I was going to say, you're all betting experience. You, you, know, you know how frequently such an event may or may not occur. <laughs> yeah, I think it if it used to happen more often. Uh, I started uh, running lines and, and working in gambling just after Calcio Poli. So, like, that was a pretty interesting time. Um, but, yeah, so... Anyway, I think in Champions League, like these things happen a little less often, especially two two games out. Um, so Group F, this is a really fascinating group, and I was actually at uh, probably the the fundamental match or the the focal match uh, last round, which is Borussia Dortmund versus Inter, and Inter took a two goal lead in the first half, and then Dortmund like came on like Superman, and Hakimi had a great game, and Sancho had a great game. Yeah, he scored twice in the year. Yeah, it was fascinating. It was all at the far end, though, so that was just the only di- <laughs> moment of disappointment. <laughs> That's, yeah. the, the, you know, the secret sadness of football, and you go and watch a game, and all the, all the, all the, te- the team scoring several halves at the other end. F- five <laughs> goals <laughs> all at the other end. Great stadium, though. Great experience. Uh, it's also the the most recent time that I've come out smelling like smoke because we were right next to the the Inter fans and apparently like Italians all smoke in Stadia, uh, yeah. so that was quite odd. Uh, but yeah, so Barcelona on eight, uh, Dortmund on seven <clears throat> with the win at home, Inter on four, and Slavia Prague, the scrappy Slavia Prague, still have two draws in this group, um, which is a very difficult group. This is this is poised though because Barcelona kind of dropped the ball a bit by drawing against Slavia. And at home now they face Dortmund. Uh, in you know, into into need to beat Slavia, but you you know you've got to reasonably fancy that they could, which would put them right back in the mix. And then you've got yeah, basically into into versus Barcelona. Barcelona's away form has been a bit mediocre at times. I know at the weekend they won two one, but they only had eleven shots. Again, another one of these weird games where Barcelona don't kind of create very much. Maybe Barcelona are just weird. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of um, this if the results go. Okay, this tonight maybe <laughs> maybe uh, the, the you might get some interest in the last game maybe maybe yeah I I mean this one <laughs> could play out and, and be at least intriguing <clears throat> so and 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 this is one that's that's stacked so it should be a little intriguing so like you know hopefully that's happened 
Uh, moving on down. We're on G. Rosen Ball Sports. Leipzig on nine. Uh, Leon on seven, despite having a really weird season so far. Yeah, the league wasn't great, but they were clearly better here. Zenit on four and Benfica on three. You know, this one isn't totally dead, but it's also, you know, poised to be, like, not exciting at all. Zenit, well, Zenit Leon tomorrow night, so... You know that's that's a huge. Game yeah, I mean there. that's that's the that's the swing, right? That's yeah, that's the moment where things get interesting. And we have Leipzig versus Benfica as well. So Leipzig, you know, anything will put them through. I think. So, yeah, Zenit, Zenit Leon one to watch. That's the early game tomorrow night, so that's probably one to one to tune in for us. And then a bit of excitement. And, that's and speaking of excitement, the last group we found one. We found a group. <laughs> and the whole thing actually had the most exciting game match of last uh, round as well. That Chelsea Ajax game there. Oh yeah, yeah, was insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so anyway, the three teams on seven there. It's it's Ajax, Chelsea, Valencia, and I think Chelsea Valencia are the early match uh, in this. In yeah, one of these right. Oh yeah, well there you go. That classes with the Leipzig game tomorrow. So uh, not Leipzig game. I just mentioned. So two, yeah, two key matches of both the kind of early game on Wednesday tomorrow. Ah, there we go. But yeah, I, I had a quick look at the expected goals on that on that group, and it's like just Chelsea, Chelsea gobbled up all the expected goals and uh, like uh, Ajax and Valencia look like significantly weaker but, but obviously Ajax plus five in the, in the four games <laughs> this is how it goes don't worry about it you know these things these things can happen but yes yeah, one, one of the better teams are going to suffer there yeah um, yeah, Valencia Chelsea so Chelsea they probably could do something out of that really couldn't they this, that's probably quite key that they actually get, get something in Spain tomorrow which they should be able to but yeah it's quite well poised hmm Hmm. Anyway, we talk about the Europa League, Ted. No. Okay. That, that that used to be Spurs Day. <laughs> yeah, it's I front Thursday because I like a day off of football now. Yes, that <laughs> that used to be how I lived my life. In fact, it still does feel like a day off of football, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, so while we're here, uh, before we wrap everything up, let's take a poke around the the European leagues because we haven't done this for a while either. We're not going to talk about specific players. We're actually doing some pretty cool projects behind the scenes, so we're not going to dig into that as much as we might. But uh, looking over at Ligue 1, I told James that I hadn't looked at this league for a while. Uh, you've got PSG at the top with a goal difference of plus 22 and 33 points. Not a huge surprise. They've, they've been rolling. They've been absolutely dominating in, in Europe. Like, I think they, they've given up zero goals in the Champions League as well. So It's funny they've lost three games. Yeah, it's like it doesn't even touch the sides because they've won all of their other games. So, right, yeah, it doesn't make a difference. But Winning the, games is useful. The mighty Vish Boas driven Marseille in second place. That's good to see. Mighty with a plus one goal difference, which also feels like a Vish Boas uh, constant. <laughs> Negative expected goals under one goal for a game in the time. You remember those Spurs teams where like they would be like fourth or fifth, and their goal difference is like plus one. <laughs> yeah, I think when he got so when he got sacked, they were they had really odd kind of like shapes. They weren't even that bad. Uh, in the aggregate, like their, their league position wasn't that bad, but the performances were a bit weird. Yeah, and then you've got like Angers in the the third Champions League spot uh, on twenty four points. Uh, not that you've ever probably watched really an Angers game. Uh, Bordeaux, Saint Etienne, uh, Montpellier, Rhyme, rhymes with rhymes. Um, yeah, and then Nantes, and then like Lyon are down in ninth at the moment with a plus eight goal difference. Uh, had some early season struggles. New manager, Again, expect your goals look fine. And you keep going down and you get to Monaco and it's like, right, okay, these look like high event games. Their expected goals for is really high and expected goals against is really high. But they, they're in credit expected goals wise. 
It's just. A, I remember Monaco. They <laughs> they used to be in the yeah. Champions League all the time. Just a just a funny old time, isn't it? Really, there. Um, nice. He's there still at Nice, isn't he? So, yeah, they have a new owner. So, not doing um, so well, but probably transitional season. Moving on to another place that's really quite weird right now. It's the Germans. I'm following you. Where am I? The fighting, the fighting fools of Mönchengladbach. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can, I, I can, I can. <laughs> Marcus Turan, who's, who's, uh, I know. <laughs> Mo, Mo wrote, wrote, wrote for the site for a long time. He was a big fan of Marcus Turan. I think after four games this season, I think it was four or five games this season. I looked, looked at him and I was like, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> not sure about this guy at all. And ever since then, he's gone on an absolute burn and he's been really good. Was it like the same moment that you talked about Nuno <laughs> at, at Wolves? It's just, yeah, it probably was. <laughs> I just had a bad week. Woke up and decided to have takes and they were bad takes. And <laughs> I shouldn't have had those takes and, and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it looks pretty solid. What's he got? Yeah, 11, 11 starts, five goals, five assists. It's like, yeah, that's pretty good. That's <laughs> that's not bad We really all. We really liked him in, as part of a scouting project that we had too. So there, James. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, um, Rene Merich and, and Marco Rosa are the two coaches there. Uh, Rene, longtime friend of Statsbomb. Uh, but yeah, they've got 25. And then uh, Leipzig on 24, Munich on 24, and were very dominant this past weekend, I guess. Um, Freiburg 22, Schalke 22, Dortmund on 20. Uh, and lots of rumblings around. Yeah, that's bizarre, isn't it? Because they look strong at what uh, I think early in this season. And their metrics—they only look—they only look, you know, they're, they're a, a plus team in this league. But it's, you know, you look at Bayern, Leipzig, and uh, Mönchengladbach. They've all got like you know really quite strong uh, expected <laughs> goals metrics. Leverkusen already got strong. I was going to mention Leverkusen. I think yeah. they struggled early in the season. Yeah. Just haven't quite gained any form, but they their numbers look really good. But you're not looking at Dortmund in sixth saying like, oh, okay, like they're, be- they're significantly better than that. They kind of scope out as about the fifth, sixth best team in this league or right like now. Or like the Lucien Favre team that just doesn't care about numbers and does what they want. He doesn't want to go back to that. Like, see, that's the thing. Oh, isn't it good how he does that? It's like, yeah, he's managing Dortmund. Like, what he wants to do is create incredible numbers and be brilliant and exceed them and whatever, or you know, match them. It's like, you don't want expected goals magicians at huge clubs. <laughs> you just want good metrics, and that's it. So, uh, yeah. Give me predictable dominance. <laughs> yeah. I don't need your magic. Right. 18 shots a game, seven against, you know, two expected goals a game. I'm just still looking, seven I'm looking forward to when uh, Mr. Sean Dyche takes over somewhere else. He should have been in line for the Spurs job. Let's be honest. Did you see um, Allardyce's? He, he rolled out his, his classic. If you just had a different name. Yeah, Sam. Um, can you tell me how many times you have won the Premier League? Uh, <laughs> how about the Champions League? Done that joke. I mean, come on, Sam. We always stick up with Sam at times because he's you know quite a forerunner in the stats world. And, and he's, he's not... The dinosaur that you know many many people think he is, but, but he if, appears alongside the dinosaurs on the Dinosaur Channel, known as <laughs> BN Sports. If he's going to come out with the Aladici stuff, it's like, come on, mate. You know, he he used to be good fun, but like you can't, you have to be like at least a little bit of parody fun. You can't just be patronizing, and 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 I don't know, like I maybe I'm just like so sick of the Brexit nonsense, where like somebody says this sort of bullshit, which is also clearly. 
a bit xenophobic. Like I just had enough of it. Can we can we talk a little bit about your resume and how you managed to piss away being the the English manager as opposed to to you know having the the wrong last name? Should Ted, we talk st- about that. Stop being controversial, Ted. Sorry, you're trying to compete with the six thousand other podcasts by being controversial. Okay, so we should. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of which, I did not write a Barcelona piece yesterday, but there are people in my mentions complaining about Barcelona piece they ran on the site yesterday. David Rudin wrote <laughs> because uh, Rudin wrote little like, tongue in cheek thing, exactly. and, and it seemed to affect the the passionate side did, of the, the did fan Did he base. perhaps rile the supporters? I, it wasn't me. I had nothing to do it. In fact, so here's the thing: I don't run the website. James yeah, doesn't even run the yeah. website. Goodman uh, it, runs the website. Yeah, and Mark Goodman. This, this is his. Uh, this is his cell phone mobile number. If you want to contact me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and anytime you want to dox Goodman, just let us know. I've said I've said this before. I've said this recently. I might have even said it on podcast. So apologies if I'm uh, I repeat myself. But like, I don't want to hear like if you if you write a Barcelona article and the person replying to you on Twitter is at Messi forever, right? I don't want to hear that criticism. I think you might be biased, right? I, <laughs> I, you know, and I don't even want to hear uh, Los Blancos uh, forever. It is their opinion either because you might be biased the other way. And I don't know. I think it's just the, the scourge. You only want unbiased opinions? Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, only unbiased, fair opinions that agree with me as feedback, please. All right, moving okay. on to La Liga. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, Barcelona up top 28. Uh, Messi didn't have start for like the first six games of the season. Is that right? Um, Real Madrid also with 28. Uh, they both have a game in hand versus the rest of the league because of Classico and World politics issues uh Sevilla on 27 uh Atletico Madrid 25 athletic club Bilbao see we used to just say Bilbao but since Pablo Rodriguez joined us we're not allowed to say Bilbao it is athletic club I think the main take I've got about La Liga La Liga this season I had this discussion I think Robbie Dunning I was sorry uh, I did a little demo for IQ and stuff and we talked about it I think uh La Liga was odd last season, wasn't it? It took ages to shake out. The, the metrics looked really quite strange, and it was like, well, I'm not really sure like, how good these teams are. This season is the opposite. Like, okay, Barcelona have had problems. Okay, they're, they're edging games and whatever it is. But in general, on the metrics, the three best teams are the teams you'd expect them to be. Uh, it's coming out slowly but surely. Barcelona and Real Madrid have got a good goal difference, much superior to everyone else. Typically, Atletico Madrid are doing a kind of defensive thing. As, a, as are, are they shooting to. more than six times a game? I think is a pretty important question. <laughs> yeah, I think but that, let's, let's follow back slowly uh, but surely. Follow that's, surely that's, 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 kind of, that's kind of come around, isn't it? What are they at? <laughs> they're, they're at eleven now. Atletico Madrid with fifty percent draws. Which yeah, uh, yeah I yeah. mean, I think that whole draw number might have to do with not sh- taking very many shots. Yeah, it's it's not it's not perfect. I mean, there, but there we go. You know, Zidane's Madrid, like taking sixteen shots a game, giving up seven. I just described that in the kind of ideal super club profile from a shot. Rodrigo and Vinicius are pretty exciting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think you know, the Spanish—they're so young, and the Spanish people seem to be a little too critical because you know they're getting starts on a regular basis. But man, I've watched these guys in person, and they're mm, yeah. Barcelona, Barcelona, kind of like well, say riding the the quality of their shots, but they're they're in it more like a kind of like twelve shots for eight against kind of team. So one of the things that's like really weird to me, interesting, is that first season that Valverde took over, they basically went undefeated in the league until like the last two games, right? Which is super unusual and and a hell of a, an achievement. And then we've got last year which seemed to line up a little more with this year, but it felt like there was more dominance and 
and they were doing kind of a little bit better and and the, it felt like they they kind of I don't know they crush teams a little more regularly <laughs> and then you get to this year and you're like I, I don't feel like they necessarily crush teams almost ever but they have 35 goals yeah they, they have 35 goals like Madrid have 28 uh Villarreal have 27 and like almost nobody is is past like 22 in that league so I don't. I feel like maybe I'm just not watching enough Barcelona to realize that they are actually quite dominant. But the there's not as much of an edge as there was before in years past. Yeah, again, like, last season's the same. It was like 14 shots to 10, but like you know, an edge, a significant edge in the quality of their shots. Well, like so the last this year must be the way there it is. was like a 14-9, right? But they had mm. double the the shot quality, so that's pretty dominant, right? Yeah, yeah. I if guess you, if I you guess assume that it's 28-9 like that, that's actually pretty good. I guess this, yeah, this is this is still what's going on. But they, they remain curious because they you know, still still haven't been particularly convincing in Europe as well. And you just figure with you know all the resources and the talent they've got in their squad that you just figure they could they could be a bit more. You know, we've seen Barcelona teams over the years like absolutely run roughshod over the league and you know destroy destroy them and. Okay, they're they're good, they're solid, but they're not that kind of team. Or the Spanish league is still really good and consistently really good, and we probably should give it more credit. And maybe the the fact that Barcelona are still there despite not having Messi at the beginning of the season, like maybe that deserves some weight. There is that kind of. I mean, this is something that I think you and I noticed earlier in the season. Like, there don't seem to be that many shots in 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 general in the Spanish league. It's quite a few teams that. You know, like Hatafe, you know, seven, 17 shots per game you'll see in their, in their matches, you know, between both teams. <laughs> you know, a few teams with like 21, 22, Real Sociedad, Sevilla, uh, Osasuna. A lot of teams with kind of like slightly tepid attacks, but not bad defences as well. So maybe it's just a tight, tight league that's kind of... I remember looking, yeah, again, like talking about pressing and stuff, I remember looking at uh, like more and more Spanish teams came out well in that kind of regard than I expected. You know, you traditionally think the German teams might stand out, but Spain, Spain, like quite a tough league to play in regards to kind of, you know, space and things like that. And it's, it remains a curious, a curious thing. I, yeah, from an analysis perspective, what's what is it with La Liga is a is a kind of ongoing question that intrigues me. But. Yeah, it's got a lot of flavors to it. It's got a lot of different types of football that are getting played, but but almost all of it's pretty intense and and usually quite a high player quality as well. Let's switch over to the South the far south of Europe, where we have a league that feels like every year it's drunk. Where are we going now? Are we We're going now? to Italy. Serie A feels like it's drunk again. In different yeah. ways, though. Like, they're, they're drinking different spirits every single year. What's happening there, then? Well, Juve's on top of the league with 35 points. That's normal, right? I had not noticed quite how how sturdy Inter had become. I, I expected that they would under Conte, but like, yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, so in, Inter are, are second with 34 points. Lazio uh, in third on 27. And can you read out the fourth place team for me, James? Roma. Roma, yeah? No, James. What, you get, what am I missing? What, 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 are, you looking, what are you looking at? I, I have Cagliari on mine with 25 points. Roma also with 25. And Roma oh recently bad. resurgent. Uh, Roma have uh, have four wins and a loss recently. Uh, quite dominant over the league. Looks like they're kind of getting over those those early season humps. Atalanta down in sixth, but you know twenty two points, so they just uh, just three points back of, of Champions League spots. And Napoli, like the weirdness that's going on, and like all the behind the scenes nonsense at Napoli, uh, in seventh with twenty points. Uh, there's another team called uh, Milan. Uh, usually starts with AC, and we're just. 
not going to talk about where they are in the table because I think that's just like we want to have a little bit of kindness. In, yeah, I mean, uh, you've had a coach show. change, haven't they? So, like, you know, they, they, and this, I think their schedule's been a bit tough, but they might, maybe, maybe they'll point in the right direction soon. Maybe. Sooner or later. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It looks really quite competitive. You're looking at it the, is. That top, it's fun. That top four, they're all winning games. They even score goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be nice for Juve just to kind of like not win it one one time. Uh, we can hope hope for that. Just just for for change for change's sake, if nothing else. Ciro um, Mobile is is by the way on fire again. Like he just he's an amazing striker in La Liga, and you know I guess at Dortmund they couldn't quite figure out what to do with him. Uh, but yeah, he's he's got 15 goals already this year, five assists, um, under a thousand or under 1,100 minutes. Um, but who's second? Yeah, some kid called Lukaku. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe some attacking power. This this guy seems to score goals. Maybe maybe useful. Still maybe only 26 years old. Maybe he'll come to the Premier League one day. The the rooster <laughs> Andrea Bellotti, uh, seven goals. Domenico Berardi, who also feels like he's about a million years old, but we've been watching him since he was like 18 on seven. Jao Pedro, Duvan Zapata. Uh, that's basically, I, I had to say that because, um, you yes, know, time loves it. Shame, but. Yeah, well, um, but like also like their goal scorers are skew a bit older, I think, than, than a lot of leagues. Although like there's plenty of actually peak age guys like Joaquin Correa is in there and stuff. So yeah, um, uh, Serie A is still weirdly entertaining. Conte, Right there with the Juve monster, uh, the evil empire. I, you know, I think I'm. The Premier League is is kind of in a in a weirder season than most uh, that we've seen historically. Will the big teams, you know, sort of gradually creep back up the table over the course of the year? Yeah, probably. I believe Jose Mourinho could be key to this. Um, it's his team now. <laughs> We're all living in Jose's world. And on that for, note, for shame. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, keep reading everything on statsbomb.com. Oh, and we launched a Spanish language website yeah, yeah. this week. We cannot forget to mention that. Tell your friends en Espanol. Uh, we have just started. We put our first primer out on expected goals. Expect to see a lot more primers through the, the first two months of the site. We'll also put out um, exclusive content for the this Espanol site, as well as some translated pieces as well. We felt it was time to launch into a second language, and so we've done so. And we had Spiel, Spielberger and link up last week, so also some German stats from content German, as well. Yeah. So um, it's, it's all good. And occasionally you see some stuff over on Il Ultimo in Italian as well. So look at us. La lingua multima. I don't know. Yeah. I don't speak those languages. No. My, <laughs> my, my language is uh, nicked good. I'm best in Deutsch, yeah? <laughs> uh, nine. Right. Wie geht's, everyone? <laughs> Thank you. That Cheers. was super. Bye.